0: Welcome into the New Orleans Saints podcast for Friday, April 10th. I'm and Gonzalez, joined today on this show by Saints legend Roman Harper. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the rebirth game from the Monday Night Football game on ESPN earlier this week. But first of all, as we hear uh, your son in the background, Roman, how's life at home during COVID-19?
1: Uh, it's it's busy. Um, the kids are here all the time. It, they would be here anyways today because it's good Friday, but still, like, like, my one daughter, she's on spring break now. She just went on spring break and in quarantine. It's just uh, extremely different uh, having to, like, teach your kids' school and having to actually be super, super involved for, like, all of the day. Which usually they'd be in school at least for hours during the day, so then you get some things done. And kids do not listen to their parents when it comes to teaching. It just kind of all goes into one ear and out the other.
0: I feel like everyone's kind of gotten a new respect for teachers in this time because it's like, wow, you're keeping my kids for eight hours of the day. Please take them back. <laughs> well,
1: not only that, like, of course, I've always got to have suspect, respect for teachers because my dad was one. But he wasn't like, he was just there. He wasn't like a great, like, all intellectual. But he definitely put in the time. But it, it's not so much like my kids are bad. It's more like they just won't go away. They're just <laughs> in the house all day long. And then that causes them to fight with each other. And then I'm just having to like conflict resolution things, all the things. It's like, it's just a lot. It's a lot. And then, you know, then having a spouse and me and her in the same area and not being able to get away for that or go work out or like do some other things that I'm used to doing. I think all of that as a combination drives everybody wild. I think, I think two things that we're going to get out of this, uh, I think divorce rates would be up. And I think pregnancies will be up in December. So December babies, I think is going to be real. It's the next baby bill.
0: Yeah, I'd I have to agree with that. And it's so funny because every time I find myself complaining about like staying at home and watching TV or like not finding something to watch on TV, then I go on Twitter and it's like, oh, there are people who are actually like sacrificing their lives and on the front lines of this. So I'm trying not to complain too much, but it's definitely difficult to be at home and it's hard to stay in a routine, you just mentioned working out, like not being able to go work out, not being able to go to a gym, like not being able to do all of the things that kind of keep us sane has been Mm -hmm. really, really hard. Has it been hard to kind of keep all of your family like in some sort of routine or are you just kind of letting whatever happen now?
1: So, you know, they have a routine with their classes and and, uh, Heather my wife does a good job of kind of writing out their whole daily schedule. And then I work with London, our oldest daughter, uh, she works with Sydney, and then we both kind of just mingling with Roman as he's just kind of just getting in the way. And, um, and, and that's just kind of what we do. So that's our schedule. Then, like, I do PE, so I try and, like, take him on a bike ride. Like, I talk, you know, and I'm still working with my younger daughter about riding bikes here, her and my, my son. So uh, So I do something with PE. So we'll go outside, we'll do something every day. And really, with the weather getting better, we're about to probably try and open up this pool and then maybe to distract a couple hours or something. But I mean, it's it's work. I, I don't know, there is no excuse. It's almost like everything else I have to do when it comes to parenting. Like it doesn't come with a rule book. You just you just learn as you go. It's the same thing that everybody's going through. And this is not just a feel sorry for me or for you. It's, it's everybody's having to deal with this in some sort of way. And I'm just happy I don't have a business that's really struggling and employees that I can't pay. Um, all I got to worry about is just mine and their health.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It definitely gives you a different uh, perspective. But on Monday night, it was a good kind of escape as we watched the Rebirth game. Um, I listened to you yesterday on the Been There, Done That podcast, uh, and you talked a little bit about looking back after 14 years and that you were kind of too immature to realize how big of an impact that game had on Saints fans and the city of New Orleans as you give your son the death stare right now. Uh, but how much, how much did watching that game now change your perspective on just how big of an impact that game had on the city?
1: Well Hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? And and you're right. At the time, I was I was just a rookie. I didn't know any better. I just thought it was just another game, and I was more excited to play Michael Vick than anything else. Um, but now looking back on it, you see that. And now, you know, after the game, I saw the people crying and I saw the emotions of everybody just pouring out after the game. And I still was just like, man, these people are like, man, they're kind of crazy. They're really into this. And, and now I'm able to look back and really take a step back and just look at it. And, like, that was the moment where, like, the Saints in New Orleans, the organization, everything around this kind of changed. Like, everything changed. Like, all of a sudden now, the Saints organization was now a winning organization. Ever since then, they've been known as a winner. Uh, they won a championship all these other things this city has come back completely and some people even say better than it was before um you have a lot of outside businesses and other things really just flocked into this city and a whole bunch of opportunity now and uh i am just so proud and just to be able to look back and say man i was there when all of that kind of happened and at the time you don't ever think about any of that you know that that block that steve made on the first drive it was just a block point it wasn't like it was my first or assumed last block punt I could ever see. But for what it represents now, is so much more than just a block punt. For that city, for everything that Steve has been able to accomplish much, much more after his football playing career than he ever did as a football player. And it's just everything indicative of that and just everything all represented and wrapped up into one little small play or one game of three hours that we got to use to, to bring all those people away from all the turmoil. Uh, It was really, really cool. And for me to be able to share that with my kids, who never really got to watch me play football because I had them later in life. But uh, it was really cool because they were so excited. And my son, who's never seen me play football, was just all going crazy because his daddy was actually playing football.
0: Did he think you did well?
1: You know, he paid attention for about two seconds and then he was (laughs) back to doing something else. So, uh, you know, for the one play he did see me, where I think I knocked the pass down, he's like, Daddy, you did so good. You knocked that ball down, Dad. And then he, like, took off running somewhere. And then he didn't say anything else for a while.
0: Short-lived, short-lived. Uh, so, Roman, take me back to, obviously, the, the block punt, the Gleason block punt. You were in the Superdome, so you heard the roar of the crowd. But that was your first time watching the rebroadcast. So when you hear, when you heard it and you heard touchdown New Orleans and then you heard the roar of the crowd, did that kind of take you back to that moment?
1: Uh, yes, it did. But now because I do uh, TV and other things like that, I really try to listen to the broadcast a lot more and pay attention to the little details that they're doing. And that's when you know it's a really big play. And you, when they make such a big play like that and the broadcast people, they just talk about it. And then all of a sudden they just, they're quiet at first because they want to let the people on TV or at, on their couches hear the loud and the, how loud the crowd is and let you feel a little bit of that. Uh, And so when you could hear it on TV and see all the motions in the crowd, and they don't even say anything, they just let you soak it all up and kind of be a part of that uh, that, that moment right there. I think that was really cool to see. Um, But I've seen the replay of it so many times, so actually watching that play is not a big thing. but I, I laughed at the little things, like watching Rob Ninkovich celebrate and having no like he had no no style in the celebration, right? <laughs> or like or like you know, DeLo Loach with a great dunk, I I remember that. But like I laughed at other things, like Sean Payton doing that whole like one-legged kick. But I really don't understand with this backstab thing that thing that he did. Like I'm like, what was that? Like he was doing the like TikTok
0: that. Renegade before it was yeah, popular. Okay, exactly.
1: Like what was that move, right? And <laughs> So those are the things when I got to re- watch the replay is what I really enjoyed is like um, seeing, uh, oh, another thing I brought up was, was seeing a, a rookie, Zach Streep, standing right beside Deuce McAllister, yeah. who's now, that that's who does the radio for the Saints together as a team, like for the national anthem. Uh, seeing Sean looking like his son, Connor, in high school. Um, it, it's just really mm-hmm. takes you back because to me, Sean really hasn't aged that much until you look at that video or until you see his son and how much his son has grown up since then.
0: So the people that were surprising to me, because I've only known these people the past two years. So seeing Sean was definitely different. <laughs> seeing um, Brian Young on the oh, line, I was like, whoa. He uh, can run.
1: He yeah. can run. He didn't have a limp.
0: Yeah uh deuce uh was interesting to see and then uh sh- yeah like i said sean payton was crazy but just seeing all of those people and then and then lance lance looks he looks
1: like a 12 he looked 16
0: i don't know if it was just because he <laughs> couldn't see like any facial hair but like that that was like like that was he
1: he didn't have any at the time that's another thing is that lance didn't have facial hair he, i don't even think he could grow it at the time like all that came like I couldn't have facial hair at the time. Like, it was – all of us grew up together in this whole thing of football. And we were all so young. It was such a, a new team at the time. They just kind of pieced us all together. And nobody thought we were going to have the season that we did. But it kind of worked out so good because every weekend, it was like three or four hours away from the struggle and everything that was going on with all the the, the things after post-Katrina and uh, and, you know, being in the FEMA trailers. And that really hit home with me. Listening to Spike Lee talk about that as well, it's like, well, a lot of these people, after this game, they're going to go back to a FEMA trailer. And that took me back to, like, man, I remember the FEMA trailers outside of people's houses, hooked them up, plugged in, and then they had the blue tarp on their house so it wouldn't get rained in even more. Like, all these other visions and and sights that I remember very vividly uh, living in New Orleans in 2006 and beyond until where now you don't see all that stuff now. But back then, it was a very, very... A normal thing to see a lot of FEMA trailers.
0: What was it like when you were watching the rebroadcast to see people's faces? Because obviously, when you're on the field, you know you're looking around, but you're not you're not looking at the fans until maybe after the game or when you go through the tunnel at halftime. But like that when they zoomed in on people's faces and just seeing the emotion and the and the joy that that game brought people, what was it like?
1: Uh, it, it was great. Um, one thing you didn't see all the costumes that you see nowadays that people. Way more people are dressed up in costumes, it feels like nowadays. They're way more into that. Um, but it was good to to be able to see everybody pouring out the emotion. Like I said, after the game, I noticed it. But this was going on the whole game. Uh, every time something would happen, they were just so excited and, and elated with emotions and, and so happy uh, to actually be in that moment. Um, I just was happy to say that I was in the building and that I could actually just – I was part of the, the change of the culture and – and everything, and I did not know we dominated the Atlanta Falcons that much that game. It was like not even close.
0: Not only, uh, only did you – sorry, go ahead.
1: No, no, it, but it really wasn't close. I mean, we – defensively, we were really, really good that night.
0: I was about to say, not only did you dominate the entire game, but on defense, like you said several times that you were looking forward to playing Mike Vick, but like you guys pretty much dominated. And then he went on Instagram Live during the game with Reggie Bush and said that he – he knew that they weren't going to win that game after the first possession. I mean, that's that's a pretty bold statement to say in retrospect.
1: No, it is, and you know what? I've had this conversation with Mike. Uh, when he and his wife, we were at a golf tournament, and and she and we were talking, and me and Mike were talking, and then she chimed in and was like, "You know what? From the moment I walked into the building, I was like, I don't think it's going to be good for Mike." <laughs> like, like she was looking around, she's like, "I don't think this is going to be good," and I don't think anybody understood how much that game meant to everybody in that building. Like, if you weren't with the Saints, it was like, whoa. And to hear Mike Tarico and the broadcast and them talking about how how everybody in the whole city seemed to just come around the Superdome that day and just were just hanging around people, just to be around people to have some kind of familiarity. And, and it just really – it's almost like a bonfire, right? Like, you build the fire and you build it, they will come. And yeah. that is exactly what it felt like that night. And uh, you could see it. And the replay was just really cool to be able to see it. I had never watched the replay on the TV copy. And uh, it it was really cool, man. It was very, very unique.
0: Uh, You said yesterday, or yeah, I think it was yesterday on on the Been There, Done That podcast that at Millsaps, you thought Drew was going to be a problem because he couldn't throw (laughs) past 15 yards at Millsaps. What's it like to, like, see Drew obviously make such a huge stride uh, now? You know, NFL all-time passing leader, all that, all that stuff. And at, at one time, you couldn't see him pass, pass 15 yards.
1: Yes, and that was before we got to Millsap. So, that was in New Orleans where we were doing, like, OTA. So, even before training camp, I was looking like, this is our quarterback? Like, this guy <laughs> cannot throw the ball. Like, like, everything was a check down. Everything was a check down. I was just like – this is not good like it wasn't good and uh, but eventually I just saw Drew get better and at the time you look at it it was a six-year like 60 million dollar contract and people thought we overpaid for Drew and now he makes that in like a couple years so times and everything has just completely changed and uh, I I couldn't be more proud of you but that words couldn't describe what all Drew's done for that city and for so many more people than just himself and uh, he's a really cool dude a a great person, a great human being with a great family. Brittany's awesome. Uh, Their boys and their daughter, you know, it's fun watching them too. I mean, they're grown up. Um, It's just crazy. But, um, and who couldn't say enough things about Drew? I'm just happy for him. And I never thought that he would be like the all-time leading passer, but, you know, I thought he'd be retired by now. I mean, he's the only one still playing, like, what, 14, 15 years later. And, And he was older than me then, too. So it's. Just, I mean, but playing quarterback at an all time level, uh, he will retire as one of the greats. It's just sad that at times he kind of gets overlooked uh, because of all the other great quarterbacks in the NFL right now. But we all know what Drew stands for and, uh, and everything that he and Sean Payton have been able to accomplish in that offense.
0: I do need to address something though, because whenever I used to watch myself on film or like sometimes now when I record myself working out, I like think in my mind while I'm working out, like, wow, I'm fast. And then I watch it back and I'm like, mm, I'm, I'm very slow. But you looked at yourself and you said, wow, I looked fast. You said it several times that you looked fast.
1: Oh, there's no doubt. I was flying, like I was rolling. I'm not lying. Like. I, I know I, I played fast later in my career sometimes too, but like I'm, lo- I was watching myself. I'm like, dude, I like look fast compared to everybody else. That's when you know you're fast. It's when like you look fast compared to everybody else. So for me, I'm like anybody that ever wants to question my speed, just look at the Monday night in 2006. I was clearly <laughs> one of the fastest people in the field at the time, and I'm cool with that. So it's, you know what I mean? Like once you see that you're fast one time, you're fast for life.
0: Of course you're cool with that. You're not going to be upset with being fast. No one's ever been upset with being
1: fast. It's not a problem. So that's all I'm saying. I I was fast. And I was very surprised at how good my eye discipline was as a rookie. I didn't know what I was doing. And so I just, but my eye discipline was really good. I was proud of that and how fast I played.
0: All right, last question before I let you go, Roman. Uh, Obviously, we're entering the draft here soon. You have your Alabama shirt on right now. I wouldn't exactly call myself like, you know, an LSU diehard, even though I did jump on the bandwagon a little bit with their hype videos last season. Uh, Get the Gat
1: was fired. Get the Gat was fired, though. I give you credit. Get the Gat was fired.
0: All of the videos were amazing. (laughs) I don't think Alabama even put near the effort and attention in their hype videos that that uh, LSU did. But your thoughts entering the draft um, on Joe Burrow and, and Tua and kind of where things are going to fall.
1: Uh, Joe Burrow would be the number one overall pick, uh, well deservedly so. He had one of the best seasons in college football history when it comes to any quarterback, probably the best. Um, and he's from Ohio, so it's, uh, you know, Cincinnati can't mess this up. Like, you could only mess this up by not drafting Joe Burrow. That's the only way you can mess this up. And Cincinnati's found ways to mess up a lot of things, but I don't think they messed this up. Um, uh, shout out to my man, Von Bell, for that, too. Uh, and I think two is going to go in number three overall pick. I don't think he gets past number three. Uh, I think the Dolphins or somebody trades up for him. My surprise move is is the Patriots trading up to get Tua Tungabailoa just because the Patriots always find a way to do something that nobody ever imagined. Yeah. So uh, if that does happen, I'll look like Nostradamus. And if it doesn't happen, I'll be we'll wrong delete anyway. the footage. We'll delete the yeah, yeah, yeah. footage. Uh, it's all right. I mean, I tried, right? It's okay. Like okay. I was wrong. Like what's wrong with being wrong every now and then? If I try. It's okay. So that would be my call. Uh, but I think Tua'll be a top five pick. I mean, he'll probably go number three overall. I don't think he'll make it to number five. Uh, once he showed that he's healthy and back, look, this kid is absolutely amazing at throwing the ball. He's highly, highly accurate. Throws probably the best deep ball I've seen in college football. In the past 10, 12, 15 years, I haven't seen anybody throw the ball deeper and with more accuracy and timing than this guy. He's able to read defenses at a high level. And I'm not, I don't really question his ability. It's all about his heart and his injury concerns. And I think you have to be able to protect him and put smart people around him to kind of show him to be able to, hey, look, it's okay to live to fight another down. Like, it's okay. Like, that's why we pay a lot of people a lot of money on the other side of the ball to get us back the ball so that you could go down there and score. You don't have to do it by yourself. I think he will realize that and understand, like, that's just kind of what happens as you mature in this world. Um, and with the Saints, I think the Saints will surprise some people. I think receiver, uh, I don't think you have to draft a receiver in the first round. Uh, this year because this class is so deep. Uh, I know where everybody's looking for another receiver, but giving Emmanuel, uh, paying Emmanuel Sanders gives you some flexibility in that area. And also if you draft a receiver in the first round, you think they need to be like a starter or uh, you know a top tier guy. That's what my imagination would think, but I think they might go defense. Every, every time everybody thinks the Saints are gonna go offense, they always end up going defense it never fails and every time everybody thinks the Saints need to go all in on defense they end up drafting somebody <laughs> on offense so it's always the opposite and I think they'll probably end up drafting the defense to guy or a linebacker
0: Roman always a pleasure uh, stay sane out there with your kiddos and uh, enjoy play time with Roman
1: <laughs> thank you I will definitely do that he brought us Transformers so it's Transformers time so appreciate it we'll see you guys later
0: alright have a good one All right. Thanks to Roman Harper for joining me on the show today. It is Friday and you can make it a good Friday today by swinging by the Dixie Brewery to pick up your weekend beer and crawfish. It's $3.50 for a pound, $10 for three pounds, $15 for five pounds, or $28 for 10 pounds. Corn and taters are extra. The Go Crawfish will be served from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. today. And beer sales will last until 4 p.m. and it's 20% off all orders. All right, so be, be sure to go swing by the Dixie Brewery right now if you're in New Orleans. And go get your fix for the weekend. I'm Caroline Gonzalez. I hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe, everybody, and we'll tune back in on Monday.